0: Well, like I did last week, I'm going to read a parallel passage. Um, I'm going to read it first this time in a different order. Um, We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, and then we're going to go right back to our text in Romans uh, chapter uh, 7. And uh, so we're talking about God's law and the sin of the flesh, the principle of the flesh that just irritates us still to this day and what Paul is saying about our life in Christ. Now that we have a life with Christ, what does that look like? How do we live the life that God wants us to live when we still have a sinful flesh nagging at us? Yeah, and so we're going to look at that this morning. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak your truth. Thank you for the opportunity To also encourage one another to use your words, not to focus on our thoughts of people or to focus on our circumstances that we find ourselves in, the emotions that may be overwhelming. But Lord, the truth that we can see before us that came from you and your word that's living and active. So Lord, we want... Um, to not be distracted by other things. Help us to understand this and help me to be as clear as I can this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you are going to do and how you will use it for your glory. And may we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, Peter telling the church, by the way, Peter, drastic change in Peter's life, right? He was always speaking first causing problems and, uh, and speaking out. And now he's a totally different man. You know, um, he denied Christ, but met Christ, had breakfast with him. Something about having breakfast together with Christ, even after he denied and, and restored fellowship with Christ. And he says these things in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and following. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh. Now, it's interesting, as we didn't read verses 9 and 10, it says there that we are we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood that have been bought by Christ, bought by the Lord. We are, we are called ones, called out ones from society, from, from all different backgrounds. And he says this, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, Even though you're living in this society, this world right now, this is what I want you to think about. He says, now I want you to, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which, those passions, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what I was reading when C.J. called me. And so I put it to good use in the context of that when I talked to C.J. Now our text in Romans chapter 7. God tells us this in verse 21 to the end of the chapter. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, The law of sin. These are actually a culmination of chapter six or chapter five, six and seven. That Paul, again as a great teacher, is he's sharing this information a third time. He's coming to a conclusion. He says, "So I find." In the ESV, it says, "Or for I find that this is true." He's coming to a conclusion. He's saying, "So because of this." This is what's true in my life. As we read this and we think about our relationship with Christ and our relationship with God's law and how it magnifies the sin of our flesh, how do we we coexist? How do we deal with that? What does God want us to know about our walk with God? About being united with Christ? When thinking about this, it's a reality as we look at what Paul is saying that being a Christian is no easy task. You know, a lot of people say, well, hey, come to Jesus and he'll fix everything. Well, that's true. It doesn't mean that everything will be easy. Right? When he says, when God said in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight or he will direct your paths. Right? He didn't say that he was taking you out of the world, but he was going to take you through the problems of this world where we have to trust him. Just like in James, when he said, trust him, don't doubt, because if you doubt, you'll be wavering. And he says, don't you know, expect to receive anything from the Lord if you're going to doubt his wisdom. But ask him for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. Becoming a Christian doesn't solve all the conflicts. It merely involves changing sides. Think about when you became a Christian, you the reality is is you just switched sides. Right? You went from following the flesh and living this in this life following the flesh to the life with Christ. You switched allegiances. Before your conversion, you were enemies of God. That was the reality. Our struggle was a result, our struggle in life was a result of our opposition to God and being enemies with God. But when God saved us, we changed allegiances. No longer are we at at war with God. He took us as enemies and he he transformed us into his children and adopted us. And Christ became, what the Bible says, our propitiation. He was our stand-in. He took all of God's wrath, everything that we deserved, Because of sin, he took it on himself, so that way he would pay for our sin, and we would be at peace with God. No longer at war with God, but because of Christ, we're now at peace with God. So when we changed allegiances, we did that by the work of Christ for us. But guess what? When you change allegiances from one to another, you used to be at war with one, but guess what that means? You're now at war with the other. And that's what Paul is trying to describe here. John Calvin said it this way. He said, even when we strive to do what is good, there is a tyrannical power that is always operating because it is implanted in our very marrow and bones. Uh, this tyrannical power and operative it's like we have within us, we have these spies and we have these traitors that are warring against us to get us to do the things that aren't right in God's eyes. And that's what Paul is reminding us. Aaron, and if you look down in verse 21, he's introducing his statement about the rest of chapter 7. And that is, sin is waiting for every opportunity Sin is waiting for every opportunity to take away what God designed for good in our life to destroy that good. He says here in verse 21, So I find, this is what he finds, it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul is saying this, whenever I determine to do the right thing, there is this conflict There's conflict. There's a traitor working in me that's around every corner waiting to take me down. Paul uses the phrase present in me or sin lies before me depending on your Bible translation. It literally means this. It literally means evil is at hand or even better evil is ready to ensnare you. When I'm uh, Basically, Paul is saying, when I'm speaking uh, to do what is right and good before God, evil is ready to do just the opposite. When you read God's word and you see what you need to do, sin is just waiting to pounce on you to get you to do exactly the opposite. Have you ever seen that? When you know that there's something that you need to do, and you end up doing the exact opposite? It happens a lot. Here's the thing, sin... Um, sin is promising a reward. It's laying a trap for you. It's, it's saying if you obey the sin, the flesh, there's a reward. You'll be happier. You'll be more fulfilled. You'll, be, you'll get to experience the pleasure of this sin. Not only does sin wait to ensnare you like that, but it threatens us with penalties. Sin does that. It'll sit there and lay in wait. And as soon as you see what's good, you'll say, Oh, but if I do what's good, I might miss out on all these other things. It's like Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve had everything known to man. They had We can't fathom all that God gave them. And they said, but yet we're not enjoying that tree. We need to enjoy that tree. But they had everything. That's what sin does. It threatens us with penalties. If we do not obey what sin says, you'll miss out on the fun. If you don't do what it says, this sin of the flesh that Paul is talking about is so powerful. It operates as a law, as a principle, threatening us, enticing us, and trying to to move us away from what is right. You notice at the beginning of that verse, the statement shows us that a true believer has a strong resolve to love God's law. He actually says it twice. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do, to do, by the way, is to do under his own power. When I want to do it, he says, it's something that I really desire to do. Verse 22, he also reminds us that it's a joyful thing. I delight in it. A true believer has a strong resolve to love God's word, to love what God says, to obey it. Jesus even went on to say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's a strong desire, but he also saying that strong desire also, that sin is waiting in lying in a trap to take us away from that. He says, so I find that the law is good and I want to do it, but he says, to win the war within, The idea is that we must understand the magnitude of this inner conflict. This is what Paul is getting at. To understand, to win this war that's going on, this conflict that we now, since we switch sides, we need to understand that because we belong to Christ, because of being a believer, that we're under this new war that's going on with our flesh. We can't ignore it. We talked about that last week. The inner conflict with sin so that In honesty, we cry out to God for deliverance, which is interesting. And God was talking about this very same thing right from Genesis. Paul undoubtedly knew this, but in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, The Lord warned Cain about the sin and of his flesh, and who was angry with Abel because of his sacrifice was accepted. Abel's sacrifice accepted, but his, you know, Cain the brother was not. He didn't do what God wanted. So God didn't didn't reward, didn't bless Cain's sacrifice. And he was starting to get that seething anger within. So God warned Cain. And it said if it'll do well, it says in verse 7, if if you do well, you will not Uh, Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. He warned him. It's crouching at the door, just waiting to pounce. Cain did not listen. Cain did not listen. Let's look at Paul's conclusion about living as a believer Paul's conclusion of living out a believer, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. He's really talking about here, he said here is the Christian whose heart pulsates with the desire for God. He's saying we should, he is joyfully content with God's law. He's saying that we should be joyful as well. He's saying this is what I long for. His heart is joyfully content with what God has given him. It's amazing because the word where it says here, I delight in God's law or the law that is in me, he says he uses this. It's a very intensive verb showing that he is actually in joyful agreement. It's a compound word that's been put together that means together with and to be pleased with. He is together with God, pleased at what God has said. When he's read God's word, Paul is saying, as he read God's word, he is pleased with what God says. He's very content with that. It's really reminiscent of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, I have learned the secret of contentment. Right? Because in chapter 3, he's He's learned that his pursuit is Christ. It's implying that the Christian rejoices with God in what his commands are. He shares the same sentiments about God's law that God does. He does not complain about God's word, but finds it an inward delight. We and the Lord are on the same page when it comes to his word. That's what he's saying in verse 23, but you know what happens when you see the word, but, right? There's a problem afterwards. That's why when you go up and say, I'm sorry, but, you've messed up, you're, <laughs> right? Your heart has just revealed through your mouth that you're really not sorry. You're about ready to blame a circumstance or the person for your behavior, right? Right? But he says here, listen, that is Paul's delight. He delights. He's saying, I am delighting my who I am in my new relationship with Christ. I delight in God's word, but I have a problem. Verse 20, 23, I see in my members. When he's saying members, it's referring to what we talked about in chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, he's saying that in, my, in my, my hands, my feet, what I look at, what I'm listening to, what I'm thinking about, in my members of my life, not members of my family, but in my body, in, in what I do, what I carry, what I do, what I think about, in my members, I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's saying, we have a problem. We need to realize that we have this problem. Trying to find victory in the law always brings captivity. Paul says, I want to do the law. I see it's a great delight. I see that God is good. But every time I try to do it, all I do is realize I'm sinful. And it hurts me. I see that sin is waging a war against me, and it ultimately puts me into captivity. It's When he says law here, it's another word for principle. I see a principle in my life that God's law is a great principle to live my life by. It, can, it should control my thoughts. It, can, it should control my thinking. That's the law of the mind. Is if you go back to Romans chapter 6, 1 through 10, he says, I know, I know, I know. Be convinced of what you know. And he's talking about your life with Christ through the gospel. He's referring back to our context dictates and he's saying that he's, he's like, look, the gospel has now controlled my mind. says here, he, it's in his Mind, the law of the flesh, the law of sin, the law of sin is attacking what he knows to be true. He rejoices in God's word. He rejoices in what God wants. Paul is saying, and and this is true about us. We know it to be true, and our flesh attacks it. It's waging war, he says. Look at this military term. It's literally encamped. The word for waging war is is a, a group of people surrounding someone else. That's what it means here in the Greek. To wage war is to surround it, to beat it down. You see what our flesh and the law of sin is doing? It's trying to beat down what we know to be true about God. That's what he's saying. Paul says, I know that there is within me a different law. With different desires. There's this different law that God gave me, and it wants to do God's will. But I know that there's another law, and it has a different set of desires, and it wants to kill the other law. It wants to kill God's righteousness. It says, When I focus on the law, that side never wins. I want you to understand what he's saying. He's not saying that you can never have victory. What he's saying is when I try to do the law in the flesh. That's what he's been saying all along. When it's me that's trying to do it, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to hurt it. When I try to do it, it the, the flesh is going to kill me. The flesh is going to surround me. It's going to captivate me. Have you ever seen Christians that keep trying to do good things, and they do, and they do, and they do, and they do? And under their own strength, and what happens? They burn out. Some of them even walk away from the faith. The flesh so devastates them. It captivates them. It captivates their soul. But here's the thing. Sin is perf- God is personified, given a personality of the sin here. He's saying as if it's a rebel army intent on capturing, enslaving, destroying our soul. Our flesh doesn't like it that our soul belongs to God. The term here implies that sin is antagonistic, continually aggressive, malicious. Sin is on the, it's incense, it's seething. It hates what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done for us. That's the war that's going on, folks. That's what Paul's describing. He's looking at his own life. By the way, you know, this is the fifth book that God had him write to the church. He's writing with lots of perspective. He's not just become a believer. He's been a believer for a long time. He's seen God work. He says, this is what's going on. The world allures us and the flesh is the beachhead by which this allurement takes place the world is like d day with everything landing to the beach and we're the beach and sin is trying to conquer us that's what peter was saying in first peter chapter 2 he says beloved i urge you that this ruthlessness is at the doorstep he says you're not you not you don't belong to the world you're aliens you're strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. That word "abstain" literally means to hold yourself away from, to keep yourself from the flesh, the fleshly lusts that wage war. Same word. That's the word literally means an encamped army. Picture. It's a picture of carrying on a military campaign. Pictures of our old flesh nature warring, surrounding our life trying to destroy our... The flesh hates the things of God. It's what Paul was trying to get at in Galatians. The inward man, you know, our new man, might delight in the law of God. The man that the Holy Spirit brings a delight about God. But the old nature delights in breaking the law of God. No wonder the believer under the law becomes so tired and discouraged and even gives up. He is wretched. That word wretched means a lot. What could be more wretched than experiencing, exerting all your energy to try to live a good life only to discover the best that you can do is still not good enough. The best that you can do will still lead you to captivity. So where do we start? Well, Paul says in verse 24, the beginning of victory is a proper understanding of our personal condition. Do you truly understand what's going on in your life now that, you're, now that you're changed allegiances and you're with Christ and not with the world and the old man of sin? Now that you're not living in sin, now, you, now that you belong to Christ, where do we start? The beginning of victory is understanding that we are wretched. Paul is so depressed this is the closest word that describes depression. It's amazing. It, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? He cries out in desperation. Paul said, I can't keep the law. In fact, I'm absolutely miserable. It's surrounding me. I'm captivated. I am wretched. You know, wretched means afflicted, miserable in distressed condition, beaten down from the continual strain and leaving a person literally full of misery. It's it's usually, it's often used in the Greek when, when somebody is exhausted from hard labor. They feel wretched. Paul is completely worn out and wretched because of his unsuccessful effort to please God under the principles of the law. what he's saying. I can't do it. I can I see the law, I love the law, but if I try to do the law under my own strength, I fail miserably because the sin is just waiting there to surround me and to capture me. Galatians chapter 6, if you see anyone, if you're walking in the Spirit, you who are spiritual, help restore the one who's been caught in sin. They've been surrounded and captured. They've been caught. It's not describing a person who is habitually sinning. It's somebody that, that's been trying to do good, but yet they're, they've been doing it in the flesh. The flesh takes over, and the flesh surrounds them and captivates them, and they're now in sin. The beginning of victory is understanding who we really are, who, what the battle really is. If you don't understand the battle... You're not going to win the war. By the way, we don't win the war. Right? Verse 25. I love verse 25. It's another one of those butt moments. Right? Verse 25 says this Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You notice he mentions Jesus Christ our Lord. It's every name for Jesus, his humanity. Christ, our Savior. Awesome. Right here, total victory in our life must come through Jesus Christ. Right? Christ is the one who defeated everything. He defeated the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He rose again. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. But in the end, Jesus Jesus was exalted by God that there's no other name under heaven by which Right? He he is glorified above all. There, he is his name is above all names. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. He is God. Total victory in our life must come by Jesus. We need to realize what the real battle is in our life, to understand who really brings us victory. Paul, his whole combination is saying, look, I know, I love God. I love his word. I love who he is. But when I try to do everything for myself, I just get sucked into sin. It's hopeless. It just leads me into captivity. I have to understand, I am really in my flesh wretched. Which caused Paul to run to Christ. That's the ticket. The more you understand who you really are and what sin is trying to do to you, the faster you run to Christ. Colossians chapter 3, it says, if you are raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. Don't look at all the earthly stuff because your life is hidden with Christ. Christ. Thanks be to God that we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory because our life is now hidden with him. Being hidden means it gives us strength, protection, and comfort. He hides us when the world is surrounding us, when the world is trying to defeat us, when when this, when sin is laying and waiting to ensnare you. If our life is hidden with Christ, if we're seeking the things that are above, we're seeking Christ, then our life is hidden with him. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding on how you feel. Because the feelings in your life are based on the flesh. They're waiting to ensnare you, trip you, beat you up. It's a life of misery. But if you come to Christ, your life is hidden. Hidden. Paul is saying this, Paul's great discoveries of his struggle with his life is that sin dwells in him, though he delights in God's law. Sin still is at work, trying to trip us up. We are positionally, we belong to Christ, we're still in this world, and one day he's going to unite us with him, we'll become his bride and live with him forever forever. I know that's odd for most men to think about, but we are the bride of Christ, the church, the gathering, the body of Christ. We belong to him, and God's going to present us to him. And in doing that, in doing that, we no longer have the flesh nipping at our toes, right? No more Jack Frost. (laughs) We're going to be alive with Christ. This is what else he found That his will was powerless against sin. His will, his desire to do good things could not defeat sin. That's a problem for many Christians. A lot of Christians struggle with having victory over sin in their life because of of what they they don't recognize their true condition and what they call sin today. Part of it is we fail to agonize over sin because we've redefined our old nature. The problem isn't that many Christians are not despairing. We despair over our circumstances. The problem is we don't despair over our sin. There's a lack of despair over our sin. We fail to recognize and agonize over sin because we have, a, we have become people that redefine our old sin. And we've given them Christian labels. There are Christian labels aggressiveness self assertiveness once condemned as sin now becomes zeal for the lord we do it all the time you know oh i just needed to talk to everybody about that person because we just needed to pray right christian gossip you know the christian gossip and slander column is alive and well many times We live superficial, hypocritical lives which deny the reality of our sin and our failure to live God that God requires, as God requires. We ignore and reject God's word as though it was something fleshly while we are the ones we treat ourselves. We think we're spiritual, but we don't need to do all the things that the Bible says. But we treat the Bible like it's flesh and we treat ourselves like we're spiritual, but it's the opposite. The Bible is spiritual, and we are fleshly. We teach Christians to cope with their sins. But you realize if you go through the Bible, the Bible never teaches coping, to cope with sin. But actually, he, he tells, teaches us to deal and be responsible for our sin, to deal with it so it goes away. So Christ has victory. We need to have that agony so intense that we, can, that we cannot live with it, and you can only turn to God. We seek to convert our socially acceptable sins to those sins which are so, unacceptable sins to which become now social acceptable sins, Right? We know that robbery and murder are unacceptable to society, so we redirect our sinful energies in areas which serve our self-interest. The Christian life is not easy. That's what Paul is getting at in chapter 7. It's a battle in every way. It's a battle that has been won by Christ, by our Lord. He... Is victorious. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and now is at the right hand throne of God. He's been exalted. John Newton, the former slaveholder, right? The former slave trader wrote this amazing grace, right? He died at 82. Shortly before his death, he was quoted as proclaiming this. This was his statement right before his death. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. You know what's amazing? The more you think about, you realize how wretched we are and our flesh is trying to take over, the more we long for Christ but the more we make excuses for sin, the more we struggle with Christ and his word. Paul learned this that that there was deliverance through Christ. There's no other way than than Christ. Another another great great guy you ever want to, the, the, this chapter, chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's a, a, a book that John Bunyan wrote, The War, and it's like a sequel to The, the Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, he was a great author, and he writes about this, and, but he, he's accredited to this poem, no one knows for certain, but he says this, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far grander news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Too many many of us are trying to run without feet and hands. By the power of God's grace, we can soar through the power of Christ. Isn't that what Paul was talking about? I can do all things through Christ who's given me strength. He wasn't talking about doing things in life. It, it was about the fact that, he would have, that Christ would give him victory over sin, that he'd be content, that he found his joy, he found his purpose in Christ. To know Christ is his greatest, his greatest focus in life. Here's the, here's the thing. You will know Christ the most when you realize who you are the most. When we realize how great our sin is and what sin is trying to do to us, and re- that's what Paul realized. The victory of living a godly life begins here. And that's what Paul is saying. And I love where we get to go at next year in verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, therefore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? That is amazing. That's the soaring that we can have. That's what John Bunyan was talking about. Our life with Christ. That's the question. Is your life hidden with Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Or are you just doing a bunch of good things in order to be good for God? It'll never happen. You can never be good enough. Surrender to God. Present yourself to him. Ask him for forgiveness. He will forgive you. Come to him. Surrender your life to him. And let him save you from your sin. That's, he's in the saving business. We're in the wrecking business. But God saves us because of the work he did on the cross when he died for our sins, when he became the go-between to pay for the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul realized the trick to living a godly life, a joyful godly life, is not by doing a bunch of good things. It's by realizing what sin is trying to do and running to Christ. Will you run to Christ today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's message we re- I realize how hard it is to understand. Sometimes Paul speaks in round in circles. But Lord, he ended very clearly on what it means to be walking with you. How hard it really is to live in this world with our flesh, the sin that's at war with us, that wants to hold us captive, Lord, you've given us victory through Christ. May we see that as we see our sin. May we run with open arms and fall before you and grasp you as our Lord and realize how much you have loved us because all that you went through just for us. a perfect lamb that was slain this lamb, this, this little child that we celebrate, but re- reality, for all eternity, this has been your goal, to bring a people to you, by, through your own sacrifice, to pay for our sin, as John 1 said. So Lord, I pray that we would realize what it means as we begin this life with Christ and not take it for granted. May we not neglect to think about who we are and to realize who you are and run to Christ. Thank you for what you're teaching us through this series in Romans. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.